All right. Uh, welcome and good morning. Um, uh, this is uh, School for A Course in Miracles, and today's topic is uh, two courtrooms. I, th I, th I thought this would be kind of a fun thing, and there's all these one, you know, movies about courtroom battles and all that kind of stuff, and and it's certainly you know uh, an item that shows up in pop culture a lot. And I thought, well, why not? Um, see what the course has to say about using that metaphor and I found plenty <laughs> had no trouble whatsoever finding plenty of examples so I, I started looking up some of the some of the, the uh, uh, words that kind of refer to courtroom types of things and um, so I just figured you know the Holy Spirit and the ego have completely different courtrooms um, so we'll, we'll get into that. So um, I found five occurrences in the course to uh, the word court. And, uh, and I, I just some comments as I was going through, you know, this paragraph uses the Christian Bible as a symbol for the law of the world in the hands of the ego. But this symbol could, could apply to anything the ego gets its hands on <laughs> to generalize, basically. So here, here goes the first one. Uh, this is from chapter five, uh, section six. Um, and the, the, the preface is that Jesus wants us to appeal to his higher court where he and the Holy Spirit preside. <laughs> so uh, he starts out by saying, the ego speaks in judgment and the Holy Spirit reverses its decision. Much as a higher court has the power to reverse a lower court's decision in this world. The ego's decisions are always wrong because they are based on error. They were made to uphold. Nothing the ego perceives is interpreted correctly. Not only does the ego cite scripture or law for its purpose, but it even interprets scripture as a witness for itself. The Bible is a fearful thing in the ego's judgment. Perceiving it as frightening, it interprets it fearfully. Being afraid, you do not appeal to the higher court because you believe its judgment would also be against you. So, you know, there, once again, the ego uh, is being only fearful, um, figures that anything that's outside of itself, which is everything, <laughs> and truth, would be fearful too. And so it says, I don't want anything that, that I don't understand or don't recognize. So it says, I, I'm not going to appeal to a higher court. Uh, and I'll just, I'll just go with the condemnation. And then it usually basically says, well, I'll just do a preemptive strike. You know, I'll punish myself first before, uh, you know, the ego's God can jump in and do it for me, right? So anyway, which is the part of that insanity. So just kind of, I was just kind of making notes here of thoughts about, you know, the, the, two, the, the two courtrooms, the ego always condemns, the Holy Spirit always frees. Um, the ego's ver verdict is always guilty. The Holy Spirit is always the Son of God is innocent eternally. That's that's a that's a pretty important distinction, <laughs> I figure. Okay. Ego uses time to torture and place to prosecute. Holy Spirit uses eternity to exonerate and infinite inclusion to demonstrate innocence. I had to do a little alliteration there. <laughs> So then I looked up the word a council and I found four places where the word council appears. Um, so Holy Spirit says, uh, you do not, or excuse me, you know not of salvation for you do not understand it. Make no decisions about what or where it lies, but ask the Holy Spirit everything and leave all decisions to his gentle counsel. 
And then, of course, the ego's counsel is <laughs> always the, the opposite. <laughs> and uh, it, he says, we said before that the ego attempts to maintain and increase guilt, but in such a way that you do not recognize what it would do to you. For it is the ego's fundamental doctrine that what you do to others, you have escaped. There's the whole you know, strategy of projection, which obviously is the maladaptive solution to a non-existent problem, as Ken always says. The ego wishes no one well, yet its survival depends on your belief that you are exempt from its evil intentions. Somehow magically <laughs> exempt, right? It counsels, therefore, that if you are host to it, it will enable you to direct its anger outward, thus protecting you. And thus it embarks on an endless, unrewarding chain of special relationships forged out of anger and dedicated to but one insane belief that the more anger you invest outside yourself, the safer you become. <laughs> so if you, I'm just picturing, you know, like, so, well, I don't want nuclear warheads in my mind, so I'll, I'll put them out there and, and give them you know, to, to everyone else. <laughs> to use against me so that then I'll have an excuse for, for feeling victimized. Right. So anyway, crazy. I, I was also looking up, uh, I just kind of Googled, you know, terms used in a courtroom and I found a bunch of things and I thought, well, I'll just see how many times those appear in the course. So one that I uh, hadn't thought of was sway, you know, like you sway the jury or you, you know, you sway the opinion of the judge or whatever. So there's actually four instances of the word sway. So here's one of them. Uh, this is from workbook lesson 132. What keeps the world in chains but your beliefs? And what can save the world except yourself? Capitalist self, of course. Belief is powerful indeed. The thoughts you hold are mighty and illusions are as strong as their effects as is the truth. A madman thinks the world he sees is real and does not doubt it. Nor can he be swayed by his questioning his thoughts effects. You know, so keep, keep asking the illusion for the answers. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the other favorite quote of, you know, we, we ask the one thing in all the universe that doesn't know, <laughs> we expect that's gonna work for us, right? But that's, again, the ego's crazy strategy. Okay, it is, but when their source is raised to question that the hope of freedom comes to him at last. So we have to go back to the mind, back to the source, ask ourselves, hmm, if my decision maker is stuck in the ego position, could that be the problem? <laughs> Bump that switch, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, another one that uh, it turns out to have 39 instances and of course is the word pardon. And I just grabbed one of those because there's, there's so much material here. Um, here's from chapter 21. Um, uh, oh, and thanks, thanks also to Jim Tynan yesterday for doing a perfect setup because he, he was talking about, uh, uh, you know, justice and laws and things like that and, and, and really ties in nice, what he shared, wonderful sharing yesterday, tied in nicely to, to this as well. So, and then he also read from uh, the uh, first part of chapter 21, which has the song uh, the forgotten song, yeah, and that introduction is is pretty cool too. So, but this is this is uh, from the first paragraph of the forgotten song. The power you have over the Son of God is not a threat to His reality; it but attests to it. Where could His freedom lie but in Himself, if He be free already? And who could bind 
him but himself if he deny his freedom. God is not mocked, no more his son can be imprisoned save by his own desire. So we're our own jailer, huh? And it is by his own desire that he is freed. And we're also the one that <laughs> notices the door is welded open when we look with Holy Spirit's eyes to our, our imaginary jail cell in our mind. Such is his strength and not his weakness. He is at his own mercy. And where he chooses to be merciful, there is he free. But where he chooses to condemn instead, there is he held a prisoner, waiting in chains, his pardon on himself to set him free. So we're jury, judge, executioner, choreographer, <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever we want to do, court, courtroom battle metaphor or a, a, a movie metaphor. You know, we're, we're, we're the whole cast and crew. We're, you know, we're the whole enchilada because there's nothing and no one outside of ourselves, right? Uh, there's only one instance of the word criminal. So I'll read that one. That's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, this is from the text chapter 12. Remember then that whenever you look without and react unfavorably to what you see. Hmm, has anybody done that this year? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, only just a, just a few times here and there, maybe. Huh? <laughs> right. Okay. Whenever you look without and react unfavorably to what you see, you have judged yourself unworthy and have condemned yourself to death. And of course, the, it's never about the body, it's always about the mind, right? Since everything in the course is about the mind. The death penalty is the ego's ultimate goal for it fully believes that you are a criminal as deserving of death as God knows you are deserving of life. The death penalty never leaves the ego's mind for that is what it always reserves for you in the end. Wanting to kill you as the final expression of its feeling for you, it lets you but live to await death. No more, no minced words here, <laughs> as is often the case. Huh? It will torment you while you live, but its hatred is not satisfied until you die. For your destruction is the one end toward which it works, and the only end with which it will be satisfied. <laughs> pretty, pretty potent stuff, huh? <laughs> but that's, but that's the ego's, you know, bread and butter. That's, that's its, its, its whole aim is to is to is self-annihilation and of course um oblivion and that's why it made up a double shield of oblivion to keep us mindless and fixated on the world first and then if for some reason we you know broach that defense it says okay now that you've gotten back to the mind i'm going to make sure that you find guilt there even though that's made up too so that's why we need those two steps of forgiveness okay here comes crime with uh, six instances of the word crime in the course. Well, here's, here's one of them. Seek not to appraise the worth of God's son whom he created holy, for to do so is to evaluate his father and judge against him. And you will feel guilty for this imagined crime. There's the uh, unfounded guilt, right? Which is, we have to make it go from unconscious, unfounded guilt to seeing it's it's... <laughs> it's just silly. <laughs> I love, that's again one of my favorite adjectives that Ken Wapnick uses is it's not evil, sinful, or wicked. It's just silly. And uh, you know, so from that perspective, it works. But from the ego's perspective, it's you know, the, its laws of chaos and its punishment, you know, are big, serious crimes indeed, and and uh, you know, you know, worthy of you know, 
heaviness and seriousness and and uh you know obviously in the world we, we we need to kind of navigate through that but but inwardly if we can just remember to you know laugh at the tiny mad idea it's like okay nothing happened to the perfect oneness and the perfect innocence we all share so let me, just, let me read that one again. Seek not to appraise the worth of God's son, whom he created holy, for to do so is to evaluate his father and judge against him. And you will feel guilty for this imagined crime, which no one in this world or heaven could possibly commit. The Holy Spirit teaches only that the, quote, sin, unquote, of self-replacement on the throne of God is not a source of guilt. What cannot happen can have no effects to fear. So we didn't yank God off the throne. We didn't take our creator and throw him under the bus. <laughs> we didn't destroy perfect oneness. None of that happened. You know, case closed, <laughs> gavel down, <laughs> get out of my courtroom, right? And that's basically what the Holy Spirit says all the time, 24-7. You know, get out of here. You're, you're innocent. <laughs> you know, in my jurisdiction, nothing happened. Right? Okay. There's three instances of the word swear, you know, like hand on the Bible or whatever, you know, the typical courtroom image. Um, here's one of them. The power of witness is beyond belief because it brings conviction in its wake. The witness is believed because he points beyond himself to what he represents. A sick and suffering you, rep but represents your brother's guilt. The witness that you send, lest he forget the injuries he gave from which you swear he never will escape. And, you know, there's the ego's hungry dogs of fear, right? Let's go out and find guilt and bring back every little shred and scrap of evidence and, you know, lay it before the judge and jury in our mind and keep everyone on the hook instead of off it. Yeah, right? Right. I was thinking of the scene in Hamlet where the, his father's ghost shows up at the beginning of the play pretty much in the, and there's this haunting, depending on how they do it in the play, the father keeps repeating this mantra, swear, swear, swear that I will be avenged, swear that you will, you know, take vengeance of, upon my killer, your uncle. And But that is so, it's such a haunting uh, mm. uh, uh, guilt trip, <laughs> like, like swear, if you don't do this, you will be guilty, <laughs> swear. Swear you believe in the tiny mad idea of separation. Put your hand on the ego's Bible and swear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Swear. Exactly. And the challenge is to realize that we're doing that a whole lot of the time that we don't want to admit. And just be really gentle and patient with ourselves when we catch ourselves swearing on, you know, that insane thought system's Bible, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Jim. Thanks. So let's see. Oh, so, so yeah, this this one is one of those ones that uh, you know, Ken says is probably not a, one that uh, most people are going to, even course students are going to embroider and put on the wall or, or even have a flowery, you know, magnetic sticker on their fridge even. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I, I put this in my uh, recovering bliss ninnies calendar because it was one of those, those challenging ones, I figured. Okay, so this is uh, the whole paragraph. It says, the power of witness is beyond belief because it brings conviction in its wake. The witness is believed because he points beyond himself to what he represents. A sick and suffering you, but represents your brother's guilt, the witness you send, lest he forget the injuries he gave from which you swear he never will escape. Swear, swear, swear. <laughs> the sick and sorry picture you accept 
if only can serve to punish him. The sick are merciless to everyone, and in contagion do they seek to kill. Death seems an easy price if they can say, behold me, brother, at your hand I die. Well, there's, there's kind of the, the quintessence of victimhood and martyrdom right there. For sickness is the witness to his guilt, and death would prove his heirs must be sins. Sickness is but a, quote, little, unquote, death, a form of vengeance not yet total. Yet it speaks with certainty for what it represents. The bleak and bitter picture you have sent your brother, you have looked upon in grief. And everything that it has shown him, shown to him, you have believed because it witnessed to the guilt in him, which you perceived and loved. So, you know, the ego, not knowing anything but sin, guilt, and fear, has got to, got to keep that going and got to keep the game of projecting it out, you know, with its laws of chaos and making everything different and, and special and justifiable as far as, you know, insanity to keep its own fraudulent identity going. Uh, then I looked up law or laws, 295 occurrences. There's a lot of places. That, I mean, obviously, and there's, and there's, again, it all distills down to two thought system. There's the ego's law, which is all, you know, variations on the laws of chaos. Um, you know, sin, guilt, and fear, special love, special hate, all those things. I, I really appreciate, Tim, how you, in, in a recent session, went over the, the five laws of chaos and, and showed how those equate to sin, guilt, fear, special love, and special hate. That, that, that was really helpful because when I go through and reread those now, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I thought I made it up, but Ken did it first. Oh, really? He, well, does, he well, does everything first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was a, a great mnemonic device to, to when you're going through those. So I wrote the scrawl down in the margins. It's like, that's really handy. Yeah. So anyway, so, so law, there's like, you know, two, almost 300 occurrences there. So, so I just picked a few of them. And in fact, I just grabbed the first four that were in the first uh, 50 miracle principles. Um, but my preface to that was, you know, ego's laws are based on differences, separation, duality, one or the other, uh, win, win and lose. And any form of win and lose or lose and win is really a lose-lose because we, you know, if we forget that no one's outside of us, ideas leave not their source, then a win-lose is a lose-lose and a lose-win is a lose-lose as long as, as long as we believe loss is possible, right? So the laws of time and space and death and mortality that ego cherishes um, doesn't mean we, you know, don't do <laughs> the, the, the normal appropriate things in the world with, you know, the world's laws, um, you know, like traffic laws, probably a good thing to keep doing, <laughs> keep abiding by those generally, things like that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to pay my estimated taxes. You know, I've got the envelope sitting there and, you know, just stuff like that. It's like, you know, level of confusion is kind of silly, but uh, but you know, when you uh, when you said there were two hundred ninety five laws in there, I, I I could feel my ego go. Oh, I'm never gonna. I mean, twelve commandments are bad enough. Now I got to obey two hundred ninety five different laws. Oh no, no, that, well, that's just, really gonna work. This was just two hundred ninety five references. <laughs> yeah, but you know how Jesus is. There's always an implication behind each of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really. Exactly. So here, here's the, the four instances in the 50 miracle principles right at the beginning of the text. Okay. Miracles are a kind of exchange, like all expressions of love, which are always miraculous in the true sense. The exchange reverses the physical laws. They bring more love to both the giver and the receiver. So, you know, you let somebody off the hook and suddenly, you know, you, you're freed in your mind, which is the only place that can happen uh, from 
the ego's laws of chaos. Okay, next one is, uh, that was number nine. Here's number 19 of the 50. Miracles make minds one in God. They depend on cooperation because the sonship is the sum of all that God created. Miracles, therefore, reflect the laws of eternity, not of time. So the only law of eternity is God's son is innocent and tag, we're all it. <laughs> Case dismissed. Clear the courtroom. <laughs> Get out of here. Go home. <laughs> okay. Next one is uh, number 32 in the 50. I inspire, inspire all miracles, which are really intercessions. They intercede for your holiness and make your perceptions holy. By placing you, your identity as a decision-making mind, that was my addition, um, uh, choosing Holy Spirit's verdict of innocence, beyond the physical laws, they raise you into the sphere of celestial order. In this order, you are perfect. So, yeah, I was thinking about the original, the original crime of, you know, I mean, if we had actually left heaven and we actually had separated from God, that would have been, quote unquote, a crime. Mm -hmm. But no court is going to convict you if you believe you did a crime and you didn't really do it. I mean, no court can, you know, I mean, any good judge is going to throw it right out. I mean, no, yeah, you, yeah, that is a crime, but you, you know, you didn't do it. <laughs> if you could do it, it'd be a crime, but you didn't do it. Running around believing you did a crime is not a crime. I mean, it all gets thrown out. <laughs> yep. Judy's got some. Judy? Uh, however, if, um, if you were um, in a dream and um, a sleepwalker and committed a crime, you actually could be, you, 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 were, you would be judged non, not guilty. So same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so the dream metaphor applies here, doesn't it? Very nicely. <laughs> if anything that can change is a dream, then uh, we're all off the hook. Having been in, in court a few times myself, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> I mean, you really want you really want to put yourself <laughs> at the mercy of the court and and hope hope and pray you get a merciful judge. Attorneys don't even matter that much, but you really want a merciful judge, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and all of the public defenders, the attorneys, the prosecuting attorneys, they all knew which judges they wanted. And they tried to schedule the case for the, when, you know, prosecuting attorneys, when there was a pretty mean judge, ego judge, <laughs> and when, you know, like, the, you know, the defender, defending attorneys wanted, a, you know, a lenient guy, and they all had reputations like a mile long, as long as their careers, I mean, everybody knew who was lenient and who wasn't. Hmm. Never hmm. thought of it that way. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting insight, yeah. Really. You probably haven't been to jail or, or either, <laughs> jail or court. Uh, well, I did. I did have jury duty last, year, so I got to. I got oh, to, oh, you I were on the other was, side. I, I, I was part of two two juries last year. So that was interesting experience. Yeah. Noticing yeah. how how people want, do actually want to forgive. Everyone on our both juries, you know, we you know found the, the the guilt for the things that were pretty factual, but the things that had to do with you know guessing what was going in people's minds. It's like we can't we can't nail them for that. So that, in each of those cases, those 
were dismissed. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting experience. Yeah. So the last one of the uh, the fifty miracle principles is number forty-seven that has the word law. Uh, the miracle is a learning device that lessens the need for time. It establishes an out of pattern time interval, not under the usual laws of time. In this sense, it is timeless. So, and then I found a few, a few more out of, out of almost 300. <laughs> so here's, here's one from, uh, also from a couple more from chapter one. Uh, since the miracle aims at the restoring the awareness of reality, it would not be useful if it were bound by laws that govern the error it aims to correct. Kind of ties into Shakespeare, not Shakespeare, <laughs> another famous guy. Einstein's, you know, you can't solve a problem at the same level that you made it up, which is, uh, you know, paraphrased, of course. And But that's the whole course's idea is, you know, we got to go back to the mind, go back to the decision maker in the mind and and throw that switch. <laughs> or or the, the mad scientist, uh, uh, I actually had a, a Jacob's Ladder in my little high school mad scientist uh, uh, ham radio shack laboratory I had a little little you know the arc that goes up and then a knife switch so it's like i i like the i like the uh, the mad scientist lab you know knife switch image that <laughs> that the met the tiny mad idea was that was the idea that you know we, uh, we could make up separation but but you know it's it's, it's kind of like this knife switch you know it's a one one or the other one one thought system or the other right okay uh the other one is i came to fulfill the law by reinterpreting it the law itself, properly understood, offers only protection. So if, if we're not protecting the innocence of our real identity uh, or anyone else's um, by, you know, making their behavior, uh, you know, kind of having, you know, because we, we certainly in the level of horror, we can see lots of things in the world in terms of behavior and, and form that violate all kinds of laws. I mean, you you can't even turn on a news broadcast without seeing a gazillion <laughs> seemingly examples of that. But but if if behind that there is a being that's innocent behind each seeming actor of the projection of my mind is what I try to remind myself when I'm you know watching media. It's like okay, there's innocent spirit doing things um, that would appear because this, the knife switch appears to be thrown in that position uh, th that seemed to be insane, but the innocence behind all, all that craziness. If I can remember that, then then um, then I'm off the hook too. So. The big scene in, in any classic Frankenstein movie is, is the knife switch. So, I mean, they're building up the electricity and they're going to make up, they're going to make up the first made up man. We, we make up the monster. We make up the ego self. And it, it's like, it's like, no, no, don't throw the switch. And then, but yeah, if you don't throw the switch, I'm not going to watch the movie. <laughs> I mean, exactly. what's the point? Please throw the switch, but not really. Oh, no, don't throw the switch. And then, of course, they, they make up the monster. They make up the separated self. Right. That's why that hit, hit at such a gut level. It was just the story of our made-up self. Mm -hmm. Where, where's the drama in that, you know, if, you, <laughs> if you don't throw the switch, right? <laughs> okay. So th then I looked up. Um, yeah. Well, this. Well, this is another instance of law, but this is uh, uh, about cause and effect, and uh, you know, which is really, you know, again, using the law either for projection or for extension, you know, for, for the ego's purpose or the Holy Spirit's. 
Uh, this one is from chapter two, section seven, first paragraph. Uh, you may still complain about fear, but you nevertheless persist in making yourself fearful. I've already indicated that you cannot ask me to release you from fear. I know it does not exist, but you do not. Jesus talking to us here. <laughs> if I intervene between your thoughts and their results, I would be tampering with a basic law of cause and effect, the most fundamental law there is. I would hardly help you if I depreciated the power of your own thinking. This would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. It is much more helpful to remind you that you do not guard your thoughts carefully enough. Hmm, mind training anyone? <laughs> you may feel that at this point it would take a miracle to enable you to do this, which is perfectly true. <laughs> you are not used to miracle-minded thinking, but you can be trained to think that way. All miracle workers need that kind of training. Here we are, <laughs> the remedial classroom to get out of ego's courtroom, huh? Okay, I, I love that that paragraph because it really reminds me. It's like, okay, I, I really do need to watch my mind more carefully and and be you know gently vigilant for any thoughts of condemnation or or you know hurling whatever I don't like in my mind's backyard, right <laughs> over the fence. Okay. Uh, here's another one, from chapter three in the text. What happens to perceptions if there are no judgments and nothing but perfect equality? Perception becomes impossible. Truth can only be known. All of it is equally true and knowing any part of it is to know all of it. Only perception involves partial awareness. Knowledge transcends the laws governing perception because partial knowledge is impossible. It is all one and has no separate parts. You who are really one with it need but know yourself and your knowledge is complete. To know God's miracle is to know him. So you just have to be willing to question our perceptions and, the, and, the, and the, all the things that they are intended to do in ego strategy to maintain its laws of chaos, right? Another one from chapter four. Every good teacher hopes to give his students so much of his own learning that they will one day no longer need him. Designed obsolescence. Woohoo. <laughs> exit strategy. Okay. Uh, a, a nice exit strategy. <laughs> uh, this is the one true goal of the teacher. It is impossible to convince the ego of this, which goes against all of its own laws, which of course is differences and, and comparison and specialness and you know that whole gamut of stuff, right? But remember that laws are set up to protect the continuity of the system in which the lawmaker believes. It is natural for the ego to try to protect itself once you have made it, but it is not natural for you to want to obey its laws unless you believe them. There's our, there's our way out of, get out of jail card. The ego cannot make this choice because of the nature of its origin. You can because of the nature of yours. And of course, the you being the decision maker again in the mind. Okay, and another one from chapter four. Only those who have a real and lasting sense of abundance can be truly charitable. This is obvious when you consider what is involved. To the ego, to give anything implies that you will have to do without it. When you associate giving with sacrifice, you give only because you believe that you are somehow getting something better and therefore can do without the thing you give. 
quote, giving to get, unquote, is an inescapable law of the ego, which, is, which always evaluates itself in relation to other egos. It is therefore continually preoccupied with a belief in scarcity that gave rise to it. Its whole perception of other egos as real is only an attempt to convince itself that it, that it is real. So that whole thing of giving to get, and if you think about how that applies to, um, you know, just not only courtroom battles, but just so much of our life of comparisons and differences and, and feeling lack. And, you know, if we identify with uh, our ego, that's, <laughs> that's our everyday stuff um, because it's all about, well, let's see, I, I, I was better off three days ago before the smoke blew over from, from the Eastern part of the state. You know, there, there's, there's the thought that hit my mind a couple of days ago, <laughs> you know, and that until I switched off and that, well, wait a minute, why should that, you know, have a power to disrupt my peace? Uh, you know, but all those things, you know, are, are great fodder for our forgiveness classroom and recognizing that, you know, we, we, we made up the laws that imprison us to either, you know, being peaceful or not peaceful about anything happening or not happening. Right? Not that that's an easy classroom, but it is really simple when we look at the simplicity of the, the two laws and the two thought systems. I was thinking about how does a, a miracle fit into the courtroom metaphor, like what, what is the miracle in the courtroom? I mean, the verdict of not guilty is always there. But, you know, it's like, I mean, and, and God is a judge, Jesus, Holy Spirit, as judge and public defender, they're always going to say, not guilty. Mm -hmm. But the real miracle is when I hear it. I mean, me waking up is the miracle, like when I actually hear it and experience it. Because, you know, part of me thinks, oh, yeah, I'm guilty, but they just let me off anyway. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if, 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 if it's... You know, if you have to make it real first and then forgive it, kind of like the what is forgiveness section, you know, reminds us, it's like that, that doesn't work. You know, you can't, you can't affirm the illusion and then try to undo it. You have to, you know, change the jurisdiction of the courtroom to Holy Spirit's uh, thought system and say, okay, in truth, that didn't happen. Uh, on the level of form, a lot of stuff is happening all the time. But, but if what seemed to damage the innocence of the son of God, which is all of us, didn't happen, then instant jurisdiction change. <laughs> and in, in that instant that we, we choose to accept that, uh, that thought system. Huh? Mm. Yeah. Let's see. Bruce, can I say something? I'm, oh, sure, I'm still sure. going back. I got hung up on the <laughs> one thought that keeps coming to me about Jesus saying, um, not to ask him to remove the fear because um, that would be interfering with the basic cause and effect. And fear is, a res is a, an effect of, of the thoughts and that when we choose the miracle, we'll have other experiences or whatever. But I'm thinking, well, that, that applies to everything in this world, you know? <laughs> if you just take that, you know, he's asking not to ask me for anything in this world because it's all because the thoughts in the mind and so when people still pray, I'm angry, I don't want to be angry, I don't want to be upset, help me not to be upset, please, you know, it's the, it's, you've always got to ask for help at the level of the mind. Mm -hmm. So now I have a blanket prayer, I just say, help me where it's needed. Because <laughs> I'm upset about something, I have no clue why, maybe, maybe I do, but 
even if that, you know, if it, it's necessary for me to, to know that, then help that to be revealed too. But anyway, I just wanted, that kept, you know, it's everything, everything. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really helpful, Tony. And and I think and we do have to, you know, over time learn to generalize. And and you know, we we all have our herd of sacred cows in our mind to think, well, I can apply forgiveness to this, but not that, because you know, this politician is so off the chart, or or that that uh, you know, pandemic, or that financial thing, or this this social turmoil, or what you know, whatever whatever, or this weather situation. You know, what pick your favorite. Even this year, we got great examples for for plenty of things, right? <laughs> Pick, pick your favorite grievance and and uh, you know and just say okay I I may not have completely generalized this but I know on some level that that for me to really be consistently peaceful I have to you know keep bringing my my inner courtroom battles to the Holy Spirit's jurisdiction instead of the ego's jurisdiction and and then uh, I'm going to be uh, exonerated <laughs> let off the hook yeah back back in the day when. Uh... Uh, when Ken Wabnick's foundation for A Course in Miracles was in Roscoe and Gloria Wabnick was teaching, Gloria would always do these like, like uh, mind-blowing little <laughs> suggest a scenario, like a courtroom scene. She would have you be the uh, uh, one of the witnesses um, and, and, you know, like whatever the person was being uh, no, you'd be on the jury and whatever the uh, the person that committed that crime, that crime was in your history. And then how would you deal with that? And so you, here you got 20 core students, right? We've been working this a while. So everybody gets to writing down what they're going to do. One person out of 20 remembered to ask the Holy Spirit for help. <laughs> That's so telling. It wasn't me. <laughs> Yeah. I was busy figuring it out. Because <laughs> that, that gets right to the heart of, of, you know, the inner shield of oblivion, which is we, we have to have that inner kindness teacher, a.k.a. Holy Spirit's guidance in order to, you know, truly, you know, let everyone off the hook, right? Including ourselves, because that's, that's it, it's a package deal. It's, it's an all or nothing. If we don't let everyone off the hook, ultimately, then we're still... You know, condemning ourselves and saying, okay, grab the manacles and the shackles and haul this, <laughs> haul this self away. <laughs> but uh, the Holy Spirit says, nah, yeah. It, it didn't happen in truth. So, you know, in my courtroom, you're free. Yeah. Here, here's another one from chapter four. When you feel guilty, remember that the ego has indeed violated the laws of God, but you have not. I thought that was a really helpful distinction <laughs> because he's, he's, as Ken, Ken points out, he's always talking, you know, addressing the decision maker in, in his course. He's, he's always talking about the mind and particularly the decision maker and the you that he's, you know, sending his appeal to throughout every page of the course is, is the decision-making faculty that, that chooses between one of two thought systems all the time, 24 seven, 365. So you have not, that the real, a real identity hasn't, but the, uh, the, the character in the dream <laughs> that we've so identified with, you know, does all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, I think when I look back at all the stuff I've done in the last, six and a half decades or so it's like 
holy cow, what, what a bunch of crazy shenanigans, you know? But, you know, that hasn't changed what, you know, my real identity is, nor has anything anyone on this screen has, has done change in their real identity as perfect innocence, right? So I'll start that one again. When, you're, when you feel guilty, remember that the ego has indeed violated the laws of God, but you have not. Leave the sins, in quotes, of the ego to me. Holy Spirit says, you know, <laughs> let, let, me, uh, let me have a, have a look at that, uh, that control system here and I'll, get, I'll navigate us out of this crazy quagmire. That is what atonement is for. But until you change your mind about those whom your ego has, has hurt, the atonement cannot release you. While you feel guilty, uh, your ego is in command because only the ego can experience guilt. This need not be. <laughs> there's the off the hook. There's, there's the exoneration right at the end, those four words. This need not be. You know, we don't need to, to punish or torture or torment or, or incriminate ourselves. You know, the, the Holy Spirit's Fifth Amendment is uh, uh, you don't have to invest your identity in illusion. Here's another one from chapter five. Healing is the thought by which two minds perceive their oneness and become glad. This gladness calls to every part of the sonship to rejoice with them and lets God go out into them and through them. I love the word through, because it kind of also gets you off the hook. You know, it's, it's not this Bruce affection, Bruce character, <laughs> illusion dream thing that's doing anything. It's, it's the decision-making mind that lets it go through, through me and through all of us. Only the healed mind can experience revelation with lasting effect because revelation is an experience of pure joy. If you do not choose to be wholly joyous, your mind cannot have what it does not choose to be. Remember that spirit knows no difference between having and being. The higher mind, higher court, shall we say, thinks according to the laws that the spirit obeys and therefore honors only the laws of God. To spirit, getting is meaningless and giving is all. I found that really helpful too. It's just, you know, if, if we think we need to get something, then we're reinforcing the belief in separation. But if we, if we can tune into the idea that we have everything in truth, our real identity does, then nothing to get hung about, <laughs> as the Beatles say. The higher mind thinks according to the law of spirit obeys and therefore honors only the laws of God to, to spirit is getting is meaningless and giving is all having everything spirit holds everything by giving it and thus creates as the father created while this kind of thinking is totally alien to having things even to the lower mind it is quite comprehensible in connection with ideas if you share a physical possession you divide its ownership if you share an idea, however, you do not lessen it. All of it is still yours, though all of it has been given away. So you take perfect oneness and you give it away and you still have perfect oneness. And so does everyone else. I like that. <laughs> Handy, helpful. Okay. Here's one from chapter, another one from chapter five. Uh, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and there was, you know, like I say, almost 300 of these, so I, I had plenty to work from. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the mediator between the interpretations of the ego and the knowledge of the spirit. 
His ability to deal with symbols enables him to work with the ego's beliefs in its own language. His ability to look beyond symbols into eternity enables him to understand the laws of God for which he speaks. He can therefore perform the function of reinterpreting what the ego makes, not by destruction, but by understanding. So instead of condemning, we exonerate, let off the hook, <laughs> pardon, <laughs> set free, no bail. <laughs> One of the most, uh, I think, powerful images historically of, of the verdict being given is uh, the Roman emperor in, in the Colosseum, which mm. he was, you know, the, the hero, the, the whoever won the battle, and then whoever he was battling against would be laying there, and then it was up to the Roman emperor to decide to punish that guy or not, to kill that guy or not, and then you would get the... <laughs> Once again, the big dramatic die thing. Actually, in those times, thumbs up meant kill him. Believe it or not, oh, really? kind of pulls it. Yeah, it pulls the rug on the whole image, but because hmm. it seems so much more appropriate. And then, you know, you got that image of John McCain walking in. I mean, that, it kind of brought it to the you know to the 20th century that image when he voted on uh Obamacare or whatever it was that he was voting on and that it, it's just that image of McCain going like that like no <laughs> it was like wow <laughs> Nero <laughs> Caesar <laughs> he pulled the big whammy on it <laughs> he killed he killed the whole negative thing about the bill itself yep. a lot of great metaphors and emperors uh, and 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 Ken reminds us that that not only uh, are, are all of our inner emperors naked, uh, but there's no emperor, right? <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay, here's um, one. From, Bruce, uh, I was going to say, I was really thinking about that courtroom scene, and I thought, the court reporter who's taken down all this, uh, all these crimes and everything, and it's like, there's two things. First of all, when when it's asked to go, when the court reporter is asked to go back and read, there's nothing there. And then if you're really committed, because you can buy the, the, the whole booklet of the transcript for, you know, four or five bucks a page. Can you imagine paying several hundred dollars for the transcript of the proceedings and it's all blank pages because <laughs> nothing happen <laughs> that's great abby thank you yeah it, it really is you know it's a, it's it's i think a, that another metaphor i like is the drop out on the tape you know you know ego blathers on and and in the ticker tape of our mind it you know seems to have all kinds of you know accusations and condemnations and grievances and whatnot and and yet <laughs> holy spirit when you read it it's transcript is like you say is nothing 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 happened there so two, the two different court reporters in the two different courtrooms have you know the ego's court recorders got all kinds of stuff and the holy spirit uh, still i got that that three terabyte disc and then zero bytes on it you know <laughs> you're right i mean something like that okay let's see so here's here's one from chapter six thoughts begin in the mind of the thinker from which they reach outward this is as true of god's thinking as it is of yours because your mind is split you can perceive as well as think Yet perception cannot escape the basic laws of mind. 
you perceive from your mind and project your project perceptions outward. Although perception of any kind is unreal, you made it, and the Holy Spirit can therefore use it well. And I always think of Byron Katie, you know, turn it around. <laughs> Take what the ego made and repurpose it. You know? Okay. He can uh, inspire perception and lead it toward God. This convergence seems to be far in the future only because your mind is not in perfect alignment with the idea and therefore does not want it now. So that's why our patience is necessary because, you know, we need to, to not take our perceptions uh, personally and literally and recognize that our dream feedback um, is best utilized by, like, like you were saying, Tim, you know, if one person out of that group said, let's, let's ask Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, but if we can repurpose it with that guidance, then it's like, oh yeah, no, no matter what, whether it seems to be a comedy or a tragedy we're watching in our movie theater of our mind or the courtroom of our mind, it's like, oh, this can be an opportunity to forgive. And then that forgiveness almost leads to greater peace. So the last one I, I grabbed from chapter six was, uh, this is why the Holy Spirit never commands. To command is to assume any quality which the Holy Spirit demonstrates does not exist. Fidelity to premises is a law of mind, and everything God created is faithful to his laws. Fidelity to other laws, meaning egos, of course, is also possible. However, not because the laws are true, but because you made them. So that kind of reminds me of another idea that Ken Wapnick shared that I found really helpful is you know, that everyone's the same because we all have a three-part thought system of ego, Holy Spirit, and a decision maker. And um, because of that, uh, you know, we're all the same and we, uh, we, you know, seem to obey the laws within each thought system, but the, the thought system of the ego is completely consistent, but completely insane. So the fidelity to those laws seems to be intact as long as we stay in that, that dream. But, you know, once we realize, oh, there's something beyond that dream, it's like, ah, <laughs> what, what an idea what a thought I, I could see peace instead of this in a number of in a number of Ken seminars he in the early days especially he would uh, develop um, our leaving heaven and and kind of breaking up into those three parts ego the part of us that chooses and then the Holy Spirit so those those three parts and he he put he made it in a courtroom scene so he uh, okay he, you know, he made the decision maker was the judge. And then, you know, the ego came in with all of its witnesses, how it had been offended. God wouldn't recognize separation. Of course, we should often be running on our own. And then the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, didn't say a whole lot. <laughs> He's not a real good defense attorney in terms of saying a whole lot. You know, not guilty is all he ever says. <laughs> and, and hopes the judge agrees with him. So, because there's, like Abby was saying, the whole courtroom thing is really blank. Mm -hmm. So, but it was just an interesting taking that courtroom scene and laying it on. This is what it might look like if we left heaven and the decision maker, the part that chooses between the ego and the Holy Spirit, if they were the judge, and then which witnesses did we ultimately listen to? Mm -hmm. Ta-da! <laughs> we can tell <laughs> who we listen to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that, that's another word that I, if, if I get, if I, actually, I'm just about to get to that one. It's cross-examination, so your, your timing's perfect, yeah. <laughs> so I, I did, before I read that one, though, uh, there's, I, I looked up uh, judge and judgment. There's 235 occurrences of judge, 290 of judgment. So there's, there's you know, almost 300 of, of, of each of those. Um, there, there was no instances of prosecution, but there is our six of persecution. And I thought, well, similar kind of words, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so uh, let's see. Um, so anyway, the, the cross-examine uh, reference is, uh, again, lots of juicy courtroom metaphors here in this one. It is hard to believe, this is from chapter eight, section eight, paragraph four. It is hard to perceive sickness as a false witness because you do not realize that it is entirely out of keeping with what you want. This witness then appears to be innocent and trustworthy because you have not seriously cross-examined him. If you had, you would not consider sickness such a strong witness on behalf of the ego's views. A more honest statement would be that those who want the ego are predisposed to defend it. Therefore, their choice of witnesses should be suspect from the beginning. <laughs> the ego does not call upon witnesses who would disagree with its case, nor does the Holy Spirit. I have said that judgment is the function of the Holy Spirit and one he is perfectly equipped to fulfill. The ego as a judge gives anything but an impartial judgment. When the ego calls on a witness, it has already made the witness an ally. So there's there's the cross examination that you know Holy Spirit can take the same witness that the ego has and say, instead of you know uh, evidence for guilt uh, seen from the Holy Spirit's perspective, uh, that same witness becomes an opportunity to forgive and to see that nothing happened in truth. That sounds like witness tampering. Well, on the level of form, it would be, yeah. for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You see what you're going to you want to see, yeah. Uh, but that's, that's, again, the two thought systems, you know. When, when, we're, when we're in ego mode, it's total. I mean, that's all we see. And when, when we're in the Holy Spirit's, you know, classroom, courtroom, <laughs> movie theater, pick your metaphor, you know. Our, uh, our obsession in our culture with all the... I mean, you know, nothing, not a lot happens like action wise in a courtroom drama. But I mean, you know, you've got, you got major courtroom archetypes like Perry Mason. I mean, I mean, it's just like embedded in our genes. Mm -hmm. Perry Mason, the, the great defender. Uh, it's, and it's so reflecting that, that original courtroom scene in our mind where, you know, we listen to the ego instead of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And on and on and on and on. And, and, you know, and then probably the other thing, law and order. So, I mean, and all the offshoots of law and order, it was the crime, the first half of the show, and then it was the courtroom scene. The judge, <laughs> the jury, the defendants, the witnesses. But, man, I mean... Like we can really get into a courtroom thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I had plenty of material here, for needless to say. Uh, so I'm going to just read a few of these. Maybe I'll get to the two. Well, actually, three major sections in the course that you know each would probably could take an hour <laughs> to go through. But but I thought I'd just pick a few more of the words that, that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, so here's here's the word oath. There's two instances. Here's one of them. 
of the word oath, the body represents the gap between the little bit of mind you call your own and the rest of what is really yours. You hate it, yet you think it is yourself, and that without it would yourself be lost. This is the secret vow that you have made with every brother who would walk apart. This is the secret oath, there's the word, you take again whenever you perceive yourself attacked. No one can suffer if he does not see himself attacked and losing by attack. Unstated and unheard in consciousness is every pledge to sickness. And every pledge to the belief in separation, right? Yet it is a promise to another to be hurt by him and to attack him in return. So there's the attack defense, uh, you know, guilt insanity cycle. <laughs> like you're saying, Tim, over and over and over again. You know, we drag these things into our mind's courtroom. And, and we, we forget to ask Holy Spirit <laughs> to change the jurisdiction. Uh, it takes a lot of practice, doesn't it? Ross, uh, Ross has something. Oh, Ross? Yep. Um, you said attack and defense, and I was reading something in the uh, Journey Through the Workbook that Ken wrote, mm -hmm. um, and he was saying that, well, well, this is my words, that attack and defense are built in. You either, and this is Ken's words, you either attack a carrot or a cow to survive, otherwise you die. <laughs> So it's built in to what we made. Mm -hmm. So you have to kill either a carrot or a cow. So I thought that was, that was just kind of eye-opening. Oh yeah, he's, he's right. It's just built into what we made that you have to attack to survive. I, I, yeah, I had a t-shirt uh, as a gift uh, years ago, that, uh, Gary Larson, where these, these primitives are holding this giant carrot over their heads, you know, and this is early, early vegetarians returning home from the kill, you know, that was that sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, we're all, we're all cannibalizing uh, on the level of form, but in perfect oneness, there's nothing that's needed. So we don't need anything. So there's nothing that needs to be eaten or, or attacked or, 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 you know, Pac-Manized or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever metaphor comes to he mind. He did use the word cannibalized too, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I seem to recall it too. Yeah. 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 Carrots, carrots just seem more holy because they don't have big brown eyes. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now potatoes though have eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's uh, here's exonerate. There's there's a couple places. I just pick one. The ego doesn't let anybody off the hook. And here's the quote: "To forgive may be an act of charity, but not his due. He may be pitied for his guilt, but not exonerated." So, you know, there's, nobody gets out of ego's courtroom unscathed, but everyone gets out of Holy Spirit's off the hook. Uh, 30 instances of the word evidence. Uh, I grabbed a few of those. How are we doing in time? A few more minutes? Okay. Um, either God or the ego is insane. If you will examine the evidence on both sides fairly, you will realize this must be true. Neither God nor the ego proposes a partial thought system. Each is internally consistent, but they are diametrically opposed in all respects so that partial allegiance is impossible. Remember, too, that their results are as different as their foundations, and their fundamentally irreconcilable natures cannot be reconciled by vacillations between them. 
And of course, that's <laughs> what we try to do most of the time as well. Well, let's see, I, I, I know that this stuff, this course stuff, you know, works because I've tried it a few enough times now that I've, I'm a little more peaceful than I used to be. But I still want to fix that dream. I've still got my recovering dream repair technician hat on most of the time. And, 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 if, and Holy Spirit says, you know, look in the mirror and notice what you got in your head there. <laughs> You're still trying to fix the dream, right? Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's another one. Um, oh, I just, I just made a little comment. Ego's mind is made up in both senses of the word. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we basically already know what we believe is egos, but we, we made it up because it's, it's fiction. Um, here's another short quote. No evidence will convince you of the truth of what you do not want. That's from chapter 16, section two. And another one from, well, here, here now we're back to chapter 21, tying into Jim's great talk last night. Uh, this, this is one of my favorite paragraphs. The, the, the phrase that I keep remembering is your cues for inference are wrong. In other words, you know, we're, <laughs> we're kind of staggering around blindly. Maybe we've got a little, the ego's laser to pinpoint, you know, special love, special hate targets as we wander around in our darkened mindscape. But, you know, otherwise we're, we're pretty much blind, you know, and we're, we're stumbling around. So our cues for inference are wrong. So here's the, here's the full quote from, from the introduction to chapter 21. Never forget, uh, just after it, right, actually. Never forget the world the sightless, quote, see, unquote, must be imagined for what it really looks like is unknown to them. They must infer what could be seen from evidence forever indirect and reconstruct their inferences as they stumble and fall because of what they did not recognize or walk unharmed through open doorways that they thought were closed. And so it is with you. You do not see. Your cues for inference are wrong, and so you stumble and fall down upon the stones you did not recognize, but fail to be aware that you can go through the doors you thought were closed, but which stand open before unseeing eyes waiting to welcome you. I, I'm reminded of uh, uh, Edwin Abbott's Flatland, where he, you know, the two-dimensional creatures that, that have no idea that there's a three-dimensional world and, and you know, three-dimensional Creatures can, can mess with their two-dimensional reality, but they're clueless as to what's going on. And I figure, you know, Holy Spirit is sort of like an infinitely dimensional or beyond dimensionality, beyond space-time awareness that sees everything. And, and you know, us, us clueless, <laughs> seemingly, silly, seemingly separate selves, um, you know, need that help. You know, to your point, Tim, about the exercise and in New York uh, <laughs> at Ken's earlier center, you know, we almost, you know, completely most of the time, we, we, the last thing we think of asking is that inner kindness teacher, AKA Holy Spirit for guidance. And yet when we do that, it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't get the whole picture, but at least, you know, I now have enough guidance through that internal GPS to not, you know, <laughs> crash and burn every other step because I don't see the obstacles there and I don't see the, the, the doors that are open. Yeah. I was talking with Lynn about, um, it, it seemed like when we were, when I was growing up, we were growing up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the news just pre presented the evidence. And, and then you got to choose, theoretically. And then, you know, cable news came along. They called it news. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and, you know, and, they, and 
you know, Fox went this way, MSNBC went that way. And all they present is the evidence to back up their case, as if it's news. And both sides do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> and we all have our preferences. However, it, it eliminates half of the sonship of God, at least in this country, if you're only seeing evidence that proves that the other half of the sonship in this country is wrong. And, and it's not the evidence that, that's going to show it to us. It's the Holy Spirit is going to take the same evidence, really, the same witnesses, and help us see it a different way. Exactly. When you start talking with people that seem to be on the other side of the fence and realize, well, wait a minute, they have the same interests as me. That's, I think that's you know, oftentimes how Holy Spirit reminds us that you know, burning bridges and, and making differences important really is uh, you know, a, a way of, of <laughs> believing in the you know, in separation. And it, it just works against our peace. You know? yeah. The other thing that as you were sharing that, Tim, I was thinking, um, you know, maybe it's a whole lot more than than half and half. Maybe it's, it's kind of like you know, one one media <laughs> with all the, all the information they have is like you know a tiny thimble of of water from the ocean. And here's the evidence of here's what the ocean is like, you know. And then and the other the other network takes another thimbleful and say, well, no, here the ocean's like this. They might have different microorganisms in it, but you know they they're kind of ignoring the fact that there's whales and octopi and and uh, you know a whole lot more to the ocean than just those two thimbles. <laughs> anyway, Judy, Judaism. I've been thinking of. Um... I hope, I hope I've got it right, Madam Justice, and that um, symbol that I think is in courtrooms of Madam Justice standing with her, um, with her balance scale. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, it's, I yep. think she's a great symbol for the, um, for the decision maker. I mean, she's always, go she's always, but she always seems to be going one way or the other. <laughs> Um, Isn't uh, she blindfolded too? Blindfolded, yes. That's the big thing. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, me, meaning unbiased, presumably, right? Yeah. But if everyone in that, like Tim was pointing, everybody in this world is biased for their yeah. point of view, and so there's really no, you know, blindfold on the level of form. That's why we need, you know, that in, in your kindness teacher, aka Holy Spirit, aka Jesus of the Course, to to guide us through all the stuff that we're going to misinterpret and 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 not to try to keep interpreting, but, but just, you know, quick question the whole idea of judgment, you know, that's that we're capable of that. You know, he says, you cannot judge, <laughs> which is a, you know, a challenging idea, isn't it? Cause we want to do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I'm glad you mentioned the scales cause we were in Egypt about uh, my wife and I went there. Well, let's see fall of 92. It's been a, been a few decades. Um, and they there was a lot of depictions of um, the, the the scales and the and the balance and and one of the things that we saw you know they, they had you know uh, glyphs of of the uh, the scales with the heart on one side and a feather on the other side and uh, and and if the, the heart was as light as a feather that was the metaphor then you you, you got into heaven in that, in that mythology. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, you know, well, so, you know, the uh, peace of mind is not a little gift, you know, the Course says. <laughs> and, and, you know, when, our, when we're truly lighthearted, when we, you know, really let uh, ourselves and everyone off the hook, in, in those moments, um, we kind of transcend 
the dualistic idea of, of, you know, the balance scales having to weigh things that are opposite. And we've really gone beyond opposites, you know, what, what's all encompassing can have no opposite, right? So, but on the level of form, we, we, we use that metaphor a lot, huh? Yeah. Let's see, another, another few more. Okay, here's, here's, um, here's one. Uh, this is from chapter 10. A whole mind is not idolatrous and does not know of conflicting laws. So, and when we make an idol out of anything, we're saying, okay, this special situation, this special person, person, this special um, political battle, this special, um, you know, weather anomaly, this special uh, biological uh, outbreak, <laughs> pandemic, uh, financial crisis. You know, if if those if those are all given um, importance in our mind without getting that inner council of, of peace um, we've set up another idol of, to specialness and just looking at that um, takes a lot of practice doesn't it? <laughs> this, <laughs> we need to be, uh, be really gentle with ourselves and patient this this special thing this special circumstance this this special is special it's not like the whole rest of the ego thought system this is special <laughs> exactly this yeah. is important <laughs> This means something. <laughs> yeah. And both the attend, defense and prosecuting attorneys will, will try to argue the specialness one way or the other, right? To, to, to win their, their side of a, a dualistic adversarial battle. Ain't that special? Isn't that special? <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Dana Garvey. Okay. Um, so I just put, you know, Holy Spirit, Spirit reminds us that we all deserve everything and we need do nothing to earn or learn uh, the eternal merit of innocence. You know, ego insists we deserve nothing and should be punished for stealing God's throne and murdering him. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of the bottom line of the two thought systems, isn't it? So. Okay, let's see. Well, I didn't really pick anything for, for a closing meditation, but, but why don't I just read a little from from uh, unless there's any other comments or questions first no yes maybe okay <laughs> um there, there are three other places that i pulled up that that uh, talk about justice uh, in the in the manual for teachers there's what is justice number 19 uh the justice of heaven which is uh you know the whole whole chapter of of chapter 25 is the justice of god and then the justice of heaven within that has a lot of references to to that whole metaphor. And then justice returned to love in, in uh, chapter 25 also. So anyway, there are lots of places where, you know, each of those would probably merit a whole, whole session. So I'll just um, read from what is justice as a closing meditation. Justice is the divine correction for injustice. Injustice is the basis for all the judgments of the world. Justice corrects the interpretations to which injustice gives rise and cancels them out. Neither justice nor injustice in, exists in heaven for error is impossible and correction meaningless. In this world, however, forgiveness depends on justice since all attack can only be unjust. Justice is the Holy Spirit's verdict upon the world. Except in his judgment, 
justice is impossible, for no one in the world is capable of making only just interpretations and laying all injustices aside. If God's Son were fairly judged, there would be no need for salvation. The thought of separation would have been forever inconceivable. So we can meditate that on that for a few moments. Okay, thank you all. Go out and exonerate uh, everyone's <laughs> real self. <laughs> I like that word, exonerate. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Russ. Thanks, all. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Bruce. Great class. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce.